You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Good morning, church. Good to see you here today. Thanks for coming to worship with us at Hill City. I'm Jake, one of the pastors, and uh, it's nice to be in a room full of well-rested people. <laughs> Little that extra hour, you know. God bless it. Daylight savings, the good one, not the evil one from Satan. Um, but I want to welcome you here. So glad you're here to worship with us. I'm Jake, one of the pastors here. I'm the associate pastor. And uh, I know a lot of you are new today. I'd love to meet you at some point. But we're continuing our series, uh, our sermon series called Prayer Life. And uh, it's developing our prayer life, obviously. And we're learning uh, to pray the prayers of people in Scripture. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about the prayer of tears. Uh, And sometimes all that we can offer to God is our tears, and those are our prayers. And maybe some of you here this morning, as I know many of you have been affected by tragedy this week, um, maybe that has been your prayers uh, this, this week, is just tears. Um, God receives those. Um, last week, we talked about the prayer of mercy. And this week, we are talking about learning the prayer of boldness. So before we get there, can I give you some Korean history? Okay, bet you didn't expect that one today. All right, South Korea is home to about 52 million people about 29% of which identify as followers of Jesus, Christians. Uh, Yet a century ago, uh, Christians numbered less than 1% of the population. So less than 1%, and now South Korea uh, is home to the largest church in the world, literally. Uh, It sends out more missionaries than any other country except the U.S. And so in just a century, look what God has done with a small nation that is literally the size of Kentucky. Any Midwesterners? Any? Any? No? Okay, good. Stay out of here. Um, <laughs> no, nah, just kidding. You got, I don't have any ties to the Midwest, but we love you. Um, so this small country, God has done so much. But what's maybe most impressive with this small country is that they have sent missionaries, not only all over the world, but into Uh, the country that is rated the number one persecutor of Christians, which is North Korea. Uh, They're neighbors to the north. And so they are sending missionaries willingly, voluntarily, saying, I want to bring the gospel into North Korea. And they are crossing the border, many of them never to be seen of or heard of ever again. Uh, We know that many of them are imprisoned, Uh, Many of them are sent to labor camps, concentration camps, or executed. Uh, Many of them are students, um, college students, who are saying, I want want to take the gospel um, into this country that is hopeless, uh, where people seriously are in poverty, who are oppressed, and I want to take the gospel there. Uh, and so this, this is what people are voluntarily, willingly doing. Is that bold? Is that not boldness? Let's talk about the North Korean church themselves for a second. Um, there, it's estimated that 30,000 Christians within North Korea are within these prison camps or labor camps or in prison. Uh, 30,000 Christians. Um, that's from NGOs. That's from government statistics. And the North Korean church, this is what Voice of the Martyrs has to say about the North Korean church. Voice of the Martyrs is, Martyrs is a nonprofit um, that specifically um, tar- helps uh, Christians within persecuted countries. So that's like their whole goal. And so um, to the underground church in North Korea, they're saying, hey, how can we help you guys? Like, what do you guys need? Uh, and this is... This is what they say about the North Korean church. They say the North Korean church is a church that is willing to endure systematic starvation, persecution, and imprisonment for a God whose name North Korea is determined to erase. North Korea has one of the strongest churches in the world growing faster than the South Korean church. And when we asked what we could do to help, the underground church did not ask for food or freedom. 
They asked for tools so that they could continue and expand their work of proclaiming the gospel. So the North Korean church, the most persecuted church in the world, when they say, hey, what can we do for you? They don't ask for food. A lot of them are starving. They don't ask for freedom. Hey, get me out of here. They ask for Bibles. They ask for prayer. They ask for shortwave radios. They ask for tools to spread the gospel. Is that not boldness? The North Korean church is bold. And for those of you who don't follow Jesus, who are here today, this should cause you to stop and think twice. Why do people do this for Jesus? Like, why do people choose persecution for Jesus? Is he really that good? Is it really worth it? I'll tell you, he is. And for those of, who, of us who do follow Jesus, this should also cause us to stop and think twice about how much do we care about sharing the gospel. Do we care about sharing the gospel as much as the North Korean church? Do we care as much as these South Koreans who are saying, I'm going to willingly, voluntarily go into this place of hopelessness to bring the hope of Jesus Christ? How much do we care about our own city, our workplace, our neighborhoods? Um, The City Network is a local church planning agency that we're a part of. Uh, As Hill City Church, we hosted about 40 to 50 church planters and pastors in here on Tuesday. Uh, And really our goal is just how can we reach the city? How can we plant more churches? Because believe it or not, this is an unchurched city. So here's some statistics from City Network. When you compare Boise to other cities, it's one of the least religious metro areas in the country. 57% of 80 County has no religious affiliation, which is higher than Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Boston, which is kind of hard to believe. Portland is my hometown. I'm like, and we're... We're behind that. That's crazy. Around 15% identify as Protestant, and we estimate that around 7% are in a gospel church in any given week. And I'll tell you what, that 7% is probably in Meridian, not down here in the North End in downtown. Let me give you one more stat. Around 60,000 people or so live in East Boise. Any East Boise inns in the house today? Um, respect. Um, about 60,000 people in East Boise. Can you guess how many churches are in East Boise? Six. There's six. And they're not 10,000 person megachurches, if you're wondering. Um, we live in an unchurched city. That is the reality, and our city desperately needs the gospel. Our city desperately needs more churches, and it needs you to be bold, to be bold in your faith. Now, let me ask you, when it comes to sharing your faith, what are some things that hold you back? There's often three barriers, main barriers, that hold us back from being bold, sharing the good news about Jesus. Fear, fear of being rejected, Uh, Fear of being left out, uh, fear of being seen as ignorant, Um, comfort. You know, we're often so uh, unwilling to sacrifice a penny, a a moment of our time, let alone sacrifice a meal to fast for the lost, because comfort is king in our country. Man, are we willing to sacrifice it? Um, Fear, comfort in our culture. Our culture has said, we don't want to hear you. We don't want to hear the gospel. Shh, quiet. Right? John Mark Comer in his upcoming book, Practicing the Way, says, we live in a pluralistic, postmodern culture where, many, where any form of Christian proselytizing is offensive to our modern sensibilities. We're socially conditioned from a young age to keep our mouths shut about Jesus. Faith is a private, not public matter, we are told. And so the question is not, will you be rejected? The question is not, Will your comfort be disrupted or will you be going against the grain of culture? The question is, will you have the boldness to do it? That's really what it comes down to. Will you have the boldness to do it? Because like I said, our city needs you. Our city needs Christians to share the hope, the light, the love of the gospel in this dark place. I don't know about you, but I want to see Gen Z come to Christ. 
Does anybody care about that? Does anybody want to see that in the room today? Are middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students coming to the Lord? Many of you know, or some of you may know, that we had a student, a Boise High student, who took his life this week. Um, we also had a um, ju North Junior High student who also passed away over the weekend. And we had so many students here on Thursday night. Um, and Thursday, I was just weeping. I was just weeping. I, I, never, I don't know this kid. I had never even seen his face, but I'm just weeping over the loss of this life. Uh, and I know Jesus, our Lord, who loves us, was weeping for him as well. And every single day, I'm not kidding you, I'm praying for revival at Boise High as I drive past and walk past every single day. And I'm praying specifically for a student-led revival. I want to see the, this happen within the students. And on Thursday night, I got a text because I had just found out about this and um, it was said, hey, you might have a few students here on Thursday night. Some of our Hill City, it's like two or three of our students said, hey, we're gonna you know, just invite people. I was like, that's awesome. Okay, we wanna minister to them. Um, and I get another text. There might be 30 people there. I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of students. There might be 50 students there. There was 90 students in the balcony on Thursday night. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Can I just show you what was happening here for a moment? This, uh, this was Thursday night. I don't know if it'll come up here, but um, we, had, we just created space at the end. Uh, it was a super long service, almost two hours. And we just left space at the end for an extended time of worship and for prayer. Uh, and we had these students up here just praying for each other. Uh, we had our, our youth director rally up there praying for students. We had students coming down to the front receiving uh, prayer. Uh, and it was one of the most powerful moments of, of ministry and getting to see um, the people of God mourn with those who are lost and hurting and grieving. And so this is, this is why it matters. This is why it matters that we are bold with our faith because we want to see the lost be found. We want to see not death, but life, and life in Jesus Christ. Um, I have um, this bracelet that I got from InterVarsity um, that I wear every day, and it just reminds me uh, to pray for BSU uh, every day, to pray for BSU every week. And we have um, our young adult ministry team leaders, uh, these four leaders, they go down to BSU every single Tuesday in the prayer walk, uh, the campus, and they're praying for um, revival to happen. Um, tonight, there's actually a prayer walk um, at North Junior High and at Boise High um, that is led by students. Um, that, and, and they're walking, you know, praying, God, come have mercy on us here in our schools, Lord. Bring the gospel here. Um, I don't know about you, but I want to see Boise go from being one of the most unchurched cities to being a city uh, that is known for reaching the lost that is known for planting churches, that is known for sending out missionaries all over the world. But it's gonna take boldness. Now here's the good news. Maybe some of you are thinking, I'm not very bold. It doesn't come naturally to me. Well, the good news is that boldness is something that can be learned, it's something that can be developed, and that we're going to see here in Acts chapter 4 today that it's something that can be prayed for and that God will actually give it to you. He will give you boldness. So today we're going to learn the prayer of boldness. Go ahead and open up uh, your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And before we get there, uh, I, wanna, I gotta tell you what's happened in Acts chapter three at this point, because it's one story, it's one cohesive unit. Uh, around three in the afternoon, the apostles, so early church leaders, uh, Peter, John, are headed to the temple in Jerusalem to gather with the hundreds of other believers to pray there together. Uh, and what happens is they're approaching the temple. Uh, there is this man there uh, who's crippled, who's laying down on the ground, and he's, he, he's asking them for money. He's asking them for alms. And this is what happens. This is what Peter says uh, to the man. He says, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have I give to you. Uh, 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. This guy just went from laying on the ground, unable to walk, to dancing, right? That, this is the miracle that has happened. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so... Peter and James say, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ in Nazareth. And this man rises up and he's dancing before the Lord. He's praising God. And it says he's just like following Peter and James, John around the temple. And uh, everyone is witnessing this and seeing this. And so hundreds, it says actually thousands of people are coming into the temple to see what's going on. And so Peter and John, they preach and they say, hey, whoa, th this wasn't by our power. Like we didn't do this. This was by the power of Jesus Christ. And they straight up preach the gospel to these hundreds and thousands of people who are gathered there. And they say, Jesus Christ died for you, for your sins, and he was raised back to life. Repent and be baptized. Have faith in his name. And it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, that several thousand people gave their lives to Jesus in that moment. Several thousand people. The church is just a few weeks old, a few months old at this point in time. And so a few weeks before this, the church was 120 people. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls upon the church. And now there's 3,000 people who are part of the church. And then on this day, it says there's now 5,000 people who are part of the church. And that is called revival. That is called revival. And so pre Peter preaches this. And he gets to witness this revival happening because of this man being raised up, able to walk. And I, I just want to offer the gospel, just like Peter did to these people, I want to offer it to you this morning that the gospel is for everyone and the gospel is for you. That the good news about Jesus is for you. Man, today can be the day of salvation for you. Um, we would love to talk to you about getting baptized, if that's something you have yet to do. Uh, we actually had several students from Thursday night say, I want to get baptized. And so we, you never know what is going to happen. But I just want to um, tell you that the gospel is here for you today. Jesus is available to you today. And so as this whole commotion is happening in the temple, uh, the religious leaders come in and they kind of squash the party. Like, of course, it's the religious people who are totally taking down all that's happening, the party poopers. And so what happens, you have the Sadducees, you have the leaders in the temple, uh, and they come and they arrest Peter and John and they put them in a prison overnight. So the next morning, they are to appear uh, in court before the highest court in the land, the most powerful, most wealthy, elite men in all of the land, people who have the right power authority to take their life, to imprison them. This is who Peter and John are surrounded by as they're put in this semicircle to defend themselves. Now, have you ever been in a courtroom? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Um, a few years ago, I was on jury duty, just down at the federal courthouse, down the street, and just being in that facility, being in that room, being on the jury, it's just intimidating. Like, you don't even, I haven't done anything wrong, but I'm like, what did I do? I feel guilty. You know, you're just in there, and you're like, oh, this is intimidating. Can you imagine they are before, like, the highest court in the land, and they're not on jury duty. They are defending themselves. So that is what is happening here. And so as they're standing before them, uh, this court asks them one question. Say, by what power or by, why, by what name did you heal this man? That's what they want to know. And so this is what Peter tells them in Acts 4, verse 8. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you, all of you, and to all the people of Israel, 
that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter preaches the gospel again, except this time he's not in front of a a few thousand people who want to hear it. He's in front of a courtroom. And he preaches the gospel again. Can you imagine being in that scenario? He even calls them out, right? Like, you crucified Jesus. Because literally, weeks before this, this is the same court that condemned Jesus to death. Now consider this for a moment. This is Peter, right? This is the same Peter who just weeks ago was standing outside of this courtroom Denying that he even knew Jesus. Saying, I don't know this man. Even in front of a servant girl, he's cowering. This servant girl goes, wait a second. Don't, don't you know Jesus? Weren't you following him? He's going, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. He's calling down curses upon himself. Like, that was Peter just weeks ago. And this same Peter is now boldly standing in front of that same court, preaching the gospel. Now, what happened from that Peter to this Peter? Well, one, Jesus reinstated him in ministry after his resurrection. Uh, he, re- he reinstates Peter in John chapter 21. And then in Acts 1, uh, he tells Peter and he tells the apostles in the church, hey, stay here in Jerusalem uh, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, fills you with power that you might be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's the day in which 3,000 people came to Christ. And so we have Peter, the difference being filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that line? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. The source of his boldness is the Holy Spirit within him, and that's the good news for us. The source of our boldness is the Holy Spirit. That's the first key to boldness. Boldness is not dependent on, upon your personality type, upon your Myers-Briggs or your strengths finder, or you being an extrovert. It's not dependent upon that. It's dependent upon you relying upon the Holy Spirit who is within you. Uh, One of my friends, he works at Micron, uh, more of an introverted, quieter guy, nicest guy on the planet. And uh, he has had a handful of incredible conversations uh, with people at his work, uh, spiritual conversations about Jesus, and he has brought several of them here. And so it doesn't matter if you're introverted or extroverted. In fact, uh, just because you're introverted doesn't mean you can't be bold. And just because you're extroverted doesn't mean you are going to be bold. It's all about the Holy Spirit within you and are you gonna rely on the Spirit? And one of the things that keeps us from being bold and from sharing our faith is we we don't know what to say, right? Is that one of your fears? The fear of just not knowing what to say. Well, the good news is this. Number one, you start by saying nothing. Okay, the first thing you need to do is listen. You need to listen to what is going on in the hearts and in the lives of other people. Because today in our culture, listening is a lost art. People don't listen to each other. So for you to listen is to love. To listen is to love. That's part of the gospel right there. The second is this. It's as simple as sharing your personal experience of what Jesus has done in your life. What has Jesus done in your life? How has he changed your life? How has he specifically answered your prayers? Just share what Jesus has done in your life. And you don't have to worry about what you're gonna say when that moment comes because of this. In Luke 12, 11, Jesus tells us, when they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers, the authorities, 
Don't be anxious. Don't worry about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Who's going to teach you what to say? The Holy Spirit is going to teach you. And that's exactly what happens here. I mean, literally, like this prophetic word from Jesus himself. Hey, this is what's going to happen. You're going to stand in front of rulers and authorities, but the Holy Spirit's going to fill you and allow, say what you, help you to say what you need to say. And that's exactly what happens with Peter in this moment. Peter's standing before the rulers, before the authorities. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps him to defend the gospel and to say exactly what he needs to say in this moment. Now, how do these Jewish leaders respond to what they just heard, to the gospel? Check out what happens in Acts 4.13. This is what happens after Peter says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. So first of all, these leaders are shocked at just their boldness, right? Well, one of the reasons they're shocked at how bold these men are being is because they perceive that they are uneducated, common men, now, can I tell you, tell you the Greek here for that phrase, uneducated common man? It is a grammatoi idiotai, which means illiterate idiots. Like that is what they perceive these men to be, these illiterate idiots. But what they're saying is they recognize that these men have no formal rabbinical training. Like these are just normal tradesmen, right? Who didn't get to go to that next level of schooling. They didn't pass that. Uh, so they haven't studied under a formal rabbi. Translation, they didn't go to seminary. They didn't go to Bible college. No, these guys still spoke the word of God with clarity, authority, and boldness. These uneducated common men. And the same is true for you. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to sit here for 50 years in the pews waiting until you can then share your faith. Man, you could get saved, receive the gospel today, right now, go to lunch, share your faith with the waitress. I don't know. You could, it doesn't matter. You can do that today because you got the Holy Spirit within you. That is what matters. The Holy Spirit's going to use you. Now, after this, it says they recognized, I love this line, they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Could the same be said of you? That person's been with Jesus. My neighbor, that person's been with Jesus. When people think about you, do they think this person has been with Jesus? Because of the way that they see you living your life because of the way that they see you loving, serving, being generous, do they see Jesus within you, that you have been with him? So they recognize that about these guys. And it says they're absolutely stunned. Like, they don't actually know what to do in this moment because beside Peter and John is the healed man, the man who was once crippled his whole life for 40 years. And they're like, well, that guy was obviously healed, right? We can't say anything against a miracle because everybody witnessed it. Everybody knows this guy. And so they're like, what should we do? Okay, we'll just, we'll silence them. We'll put a gag order on them. We'll tell them, don't talk about Jesus. Um, don't say anything about him. Um, that's what they tried to do, okay? They try to silence them. Do you think that works? Well, we'll have to see. Uh, verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and of what we have heard. And so basically, Peter says, we're going to obey God and not you. Like, can you imagine, again, them saying that? to the highest court in the land that could imprison them, that could execute them. And they say, we're going to obey God because they have fear of God. They want to obey God. That's the most important thing to them. And that is the second key to boldness 
is fear of God produces boldness in us. Because it comes down to one of two things. You can either fear God or you can fear man. And as soon as the fear of man enters into your heart, boldness ceases to exist. But as soon as you let the fear of God into your life and you want to obey God above everything else, you will not be able to help but experience boldness well up within you. That's just the natural side effect is boldness. The fear of God produces boldness. And so Peter and John, basically they're just let go with the threat of don't talk about Jesus. Don't say anything, don't teach or preach about Jesus anymore. Now, Peter and John are allowed to leave. They go back to the church, which is now 5,000 people, and they tell them exactly what has happened, and it says the church is just praising God, thanking God for what has happened, and then we get to their prayer. This is how they respond to God. This is their prayer. Uh, In Acts 4, 24, it says, they lift their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So before we get to what's in their prayer, the contents of their prayer, let's just stop and consider this. Before they do anything, right, they just realized they just had persecution for the first time in the church. And instead of going to a strategy session about, okay, well, how, how can we deal with this persecution? How, we get, how can we get out of this persecution? Instead of responding with a strategy session, they respond with prayer. That's their go-to. That's the first thing that they do. And that's important for us because as the American church, we're all about the tactics. We're all about the strategy and the method. But really, prayer is the method. Prayer is the strategy and the tactic. Instead of it being our last resort, it's our first resort. It's the first thing that we ought to be doing is to pray. Now, look at the content of their prayer. Before they ask God to do anything for them, they do one thing. They simply recognize God's sovereignty. They say, you are sovereign, Lord. You are the creator of the universe, of the heavens, of the earth, of the sea, of the land, of everything within them. You are the creator. Uh, Even God's enemies do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. That's what they're saying. Now, why is that important? If God is sovereign, what do you have to worry about? If God is in control, what do you have to fear? He is in control. He is holding the reins of the universe. Everything is within his sovereign hands. And so we can face anything that comes our way with boldness because we trust God. So the reality of God's sovereignty is what they first acknowledge and pray, and then we get to their request. This is what they ask of God. And they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So what's interesting is the first thing that they pray for here is not for God to deliver them from these threats, deliver them from these persecution. They don't say, God, protect us. God, make our life easier and more comfortable. They say, God, give us boldness. In the midst of that persecution and hardship and maybe fearing for their life, no, God, give us boldness to speak your word. Kind of sounds like the church in North Korea, doesn't it? They ask not for food or for their freedom. 
They asked for prayer, for boldness, for tools to share the gospel. That's what they want. And so what if that was our prayer? Instead of, God, make my life more comfortable, make my life easier, what if it was, God, give me boldness? God, give me boldness tomorrow at the water cooler and the cubicles. God, give me boldness with my neighbors this evening. God, give me boldness with my family member who's far from Christ, with my friend who needs to know the gospel. God, give me boldness. Now, we have to clarify one thing here about boldness. Does boldness mean, does it mean being a jerk? Does it mean being rude? Like some people take this as like a license to be a jerk. They're like, oh, great, boldness. Now I can be a jerk. Cool. That's not what this is about, right? That's not what Jesus is about. We have to filter boldness. We have to filter boldness through the great commandments. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have to filter it through the fruit of the Spirit, which begins with love. We have to filter it through the 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter. Like, love is not only the reason we are being bold about our faith and sharing the gospel, it's the way in which we do it. We love. So the first part of their prayer is to be bold, to speak the word of God. And the second part of their prayer is that God would stretch out his hands to heal, to perform signs, wonders, and miracles. Because remember, this whole thing started with this 40-year-old crippled man who is now healed, walking, dancing. It all started with that, and then thousands of people came to know Jesus because of this miracle. Now, sometimes when we get to a passage like this in our day and age, we go, wait, does this type of stuff still happen? Signs, wonders, miracles, healings? Yes, it does. I'm going to tell you straight up. Absolutely, it does. In fact, I have experienced multiple large-scale miracles. I've experienced many small miracles in my life. I me getting my calling into ministry was out in the ocean when I was going to die. <laughs> Literally, God saved my life by a miracle. Um, that's a whole story. Uh, there's a guy in my life group who um, God opened his ears, deaf. God opened his ears. Uh, and we experienced that miracle together. And um, last week he just told me, I want to get baptized. Right? Like, this is what miracles lead to. Um, when I was a student, um, I experienced a, a miracle like a, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, we, as we were feeding, um, helping homeless people, it was just like we didn't have enough. And God just, we didn't look. God just kept giving it to us, get, giving it to us, giving it to us. Like, I have experienced so many miracles. Um, but the reality is, maybe you're wondering, do those happen today? And you'd like some more evidence. Well, let me give you two book recommendations. Um, one is this, The Case for Miracles, uh, by Lee Strobel. You probably heard that name before. Super reputable author, notable author, uh, who wrote The Case for Christ, um, and he, this is a very data-driven book, and so he uh, writes this book. That was kind of the one that opened my eyes. Even though I had experienced miracles before, I didn't have a category for it, and so this was a very helpful book for me. Number two uh, is this book right here, Experience Miracles. Uh, by J.P. Moreland, um, who is also a very reputable uh, scholar, Christian philosopher, theologian, apologist. He's a professor at Talbot uh, and Biola. And so this book is just chocked full of examples uh, of modern day miracles that have happened. And I'll be honest with you, if you end up getting this book, um, the first part of it is like a philosophical case for miracles, like all these probabilities and stuff. He's trying to convince um, not only Christians, but those who don't believe in Jesus that miracles exist today. It's a little heady, and when I picked up the book, I just skipped to the good stuff. I was like, okay, let's get to the stories. And then uh, my wife was like, how dare you? You read a book, page one to the end. So I did read the whole thing. But um, there's tons of stories in here. Highly recommend it to you. But I want to read to you really quickly just one story that really 
is like a, a copy of what we see here in Acts 3 and 4 in our modern day. So this is from the Jesus Film Project. They take uh, films about Jesus around the world, showing people these films about who Jesus is, what he does, sharing the gospel through that. And so this one is called um, Paralyzed Anna. She lived in a country quite hostile to the gospel, and Anna could not walk. She was bedridden for three years. When Anna was told that a team of people was coming to her village to show a film in her language, she wanted very much to attend. And so Anna's friends lifted her into a wooden cart and wheeled her to where the film team was setting up their screen and projector. Lying on her bed of wood, Anna became transfixed by all she saw and heard. She was watching Jesus perform miracles, give sight to the blind, heal diseases, speak with love and divine authority. She was so intrigued. It was then that Anna began to sense something strange, a sensation moving through her disabled body. Anna cried out to Jesus, if you are God, heal me. The film continued. It ended. Everyone went home. As they were walking home, they saw the cart. But where was Anna? Everyone was stunned. She was in the departing crowd, but she was walking. And upon witnessing this great miracle, her husband also became a follower of Jesus. And he gave up his liquor business in that community. Anna began to share her testimony with family and friends, proclaiming all that God had done for her. A pastor who learned of her story decided he would use the Jesus film in their area. And at last count, through the film and through Anna's own testimony, 5,000 people have been baptized. 70 churches planted where there had been none in a restricted country. Praise God. That's 2011, okay? It's not that long ago. And God is in the miracle business today. And if we are going to be consistent in our prayers, praying with the early church, then we not only need to pray for boldness, we need to also join them in praying for healing, miracles, signs, and wonders that the gospel might go forward. This is what happens after their prayer. Yet another miracle. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So after their prayer, the whole place, it's like an earthquake happens, the whole place is shaken. And it's a physical confirmation. God has heard their prayers. God will answer their prayers. And that's what it goes on to say, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and that they went out and spoke the word of God with boldness. Prayer answered right? This is the prayer of the early church. So let me give us three things that we as Hill City Church can be praying for. Number one is this, pray for the lost. Pray for Boise High, North Junior High, wherever your kids go to school. Pray for Boise State. Pray for downtown, the North and East Boise. Pray for our valley. Pray for the lost. Pray for the people in your life that you know that don't know Jesus and need the hope of the gospel. Uh, something that we've been doing this whole year is we've been handing out these, uh, these prayer bookmarks. And maybe uh, you've seen these before. If you haven't, all it is is you just write down the names of some people uh, on this bookmark that need the gospel, that need his hope. Um, if you didn't get one, you can raise your hand. One of our ushers would love to get one of these to you. But I will say this to you. If you grab one of these, be warned. Because God will use you. God will use you in the life of this person. I've already seen two people on this list give their lives to Jesus this year. I'm praying for the other eight. I keep adding to it, actually. Um, pray we have, with a guy who made these. Uh, he's part of a church planning network. Um, they've given out thousands of these. Their, their hope, their goal, is to see 100,000 souls saved by the end of this decade in um, the Northwest. And so people keep coming up to him being like, I prayed, and, and they want to come to know Jesus. He's like, okay, well, what are you doing? They're like, I don't know. That's why I'm here with you. 
He's like, no, God's using you to tell them. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, right? Like, you gotta, that's a warning. Like, when you write down their names, God's gonna use you. He's gonna use you. Uh, pray for opportunities to share your faith. Maybe with the people on this list, um, maybe elsewhere. I've been praying for opportunities at my barber shop. Um, God has given me two opportunities with two of my barbers, uh, both of which uh, could probably kill me with their pinky. Like, they're just ripped and uh, huge, bald, very intimidating. One guy uh, covered in tattoos, head to toe, and I'm like, dude, where'd you get your tattoos? He's like, prison. I'm like, respect. <laughs> I will not be getting my tattoos there. Um, and uh, the first thing he asked me, uh, he's like, hey, you know, where, where do you work? I'm like, well, I am a pastor. And he's like, dude, I just cut a, a policeman and a fireman's hair. I'm like, all right, I guess we're in the same category. That's, that's great. I don't mind that. Uh, and uh, he asked me a very interesting question. He said this. He said, what kind of people go to your church? What kind of people? And I was telling him, you know, we're down here, downtown, North End, and we have people from all different walks of life. And I told him, you would be welcome there. So church, if you see anybody like that, <laughs> would you welcome them? Thank you. Pray for opportunities. Uh, one of my friends, <clears throat> he takes this little sign down to the green belt, need prayer, and he just sits there and reads the Bible, or reads a book, and people come up to him and ask for prayer. And he gets to pray with them. God's peace, love, comfort over them. Uh, he did give me a warning. He said that not everybody likes it. He's not even down there like causing a ruckus, right? He's just reading a book, need prayer. This one lady walks by him and curses him in the name of her goddess. And he goes, I'll pray for you. <laughs> right? I'll pray for you. Not everybody's going to like it, but pray for opportunities to share your faith and then pray for boldness when that time comes. God is going to give you that opportunity. Pray for boldness, that the Holy Spirit would fill you in that moment, that he would cast out all fear, all fear of man, all worry, and that he'd give you boldness, courage, in Christ. I want to end by sharing one of my favorite stories on revival. Uh, this is called the Businessmen's Revival of 1857. Uh, it was a very dark time in New York City's history in Manhattan. And uh, there's this guy named Jeremiah Lanfear. And God raises this man up for such a time as that. And uh, Jeremiah, he's 49. He's a successful businessman. And he goes, I want to be a missionary, but to my own city. I want to be a missionary to Manhattan. God, what should I do? How do I reach this city? And God gives him this idea. You ready for this? <clears throat> a little sign here. It's just, during your lunch break, come pray. From 12 to 1, on your lunch break, come pray. Let's pray for the city. And so, during that first prayer meeting, can I show you what happens? <laughs> There's Jeremiah. He's sitting there by himself for almost the whole meeting. And then at the very end, six people come. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was me, I'd probably be like, I'm not doing that again. That didn't work, right? But he goes, no, six people came, okay. This is an idea from the Lord, I'm gonna do it again. Second time, 20 people show up. He's like, that's pretty cool. Third time, 40 people show up. And now they're having to get a bigger space. Within three months, 3,000 people are coming. They got places all over Manhattan that are just booked. Like people are like trying to, it's like today, right? People are just trying to find a seat just to get in and to pray. Within four months, 150,000 people had come through the prayer rooms to receive prayer. Within one year, it is estimated that this revival spread to one million people. One of the largest revivals of our nation's history. It's called the Third Great Awakening. And it spread not just from Manhattan to the five boroughs, it spread to Philadelphia, it spread to Washington, D.C., it spread to Chicago, it spread to all the major cities in the U.S. 
And then it's the first revival to go global from the U.S. out into the world, from Ireland um, down to South Africa, from India over to Australia. This thing spread all across the world because of one man's boldness to pray. One man's boldness to pray. And so church, may we be a, a place of prayer, a people of prayer. And may we learn to pray the prayer of boldness. Are you with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you for being with us and among us here in this place today. And God, you, you know the need in our city for the gospel. God, would you break our hearts for this city, for the people within it, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for the high schools and middle schools and colleges in this valley. God, would you break our hearts for the lost and use us? God, as a church, we just say, here we are, send us. Send us out, Holy Spirit, that people might experience the love, joy, light, hope, and peace that is found only in Jesus Christ. And so we present ourselves to you. Use us, O oh Lord, to the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together in worship. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.